a part of our worship this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at this text for a few minutes. Uh, I have decided uh, last week uh, we were scheduled to have Q&A. In fact, uh, Jim told me that it was the best Q&A I've ever done last week. If you remember, last week was the week where we didn't have an assembly. Just in case you thought Jim was sincerely complimenting me. Uh, no, but uh, in, in fact, I mean, there was one Zach did. That was pretty good. So, um, but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll uh, reschedule that. I had some questions that I was really interested in talking about that I think would be interesting. Somebody asked, one of you asked about extraterrestrial life. And so I was going to talk about that, but hey. We'll just have to wait till January. So second Sunday in January better be here, and we're going to talk about lots of interesting things. And uh, so we'll save that for, uh, for next month. Uh, that's, that's my plan for that. Mainly, the reason I'm doing that is mainly because uh, the teenagers are in the back, and uh, I really wanted them to be here, because I think they'd be interested in extraterrestrial life too, right? So now I've built it up. Y'all are going to think that's a pretty lame answer when I actually give it. All right, uh, so uh, appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, we have visitors here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, this is a time where we're just going to have uh, a few minutes till about 940, where we're going to study from a passage and kind of work through this text and uh, think about some things that I think will help us spiritually. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. We have been studying for the last several weeks in our devotional readings uh, in Timothy and in Titus, and we're about to move on to 2 Timothy. And I want you to know we have a special treasure in these letters that sometimes I think we overlook. And that is, we have the direct thoughts and words of Paul as he would encourage these young men in their preaching work. And Paul has a special relationship with these young men. He's traveled with them. You know, they've stayed in the same places. They've suffered the same things. They've preached the gospel side by side. And now he's writing to them, calling them things like my son in the faith. Okay, they are unique in the way Paul addresses them. We would say, if we were to talk about this in modern terms, we would say Paul was their mentor. And that's what Paul is implying in this text. If you look verse 10, he uses the word in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching. That word followed in another place is translated carefully followed. It means that Timothy, yes, was a follower of Jesus, but Timothy was also a follower of Paul, who was a follower of Jesus. You have followed my teaching. You know about me, and you have dedicated yourself to being like me. So what I want to do this morning is to just try to make the case for mentors that we all need people who will be a spiritual guide for us, just like Paul was for Timothy. So when I say we need mentors this morning, I mean in two senses. I mean we as a church need mentors, that we need people who are willing to step up and be mentors to others, especially to those who are younger but I am also saying that we personally each need mentors. Sometimes it may be that we already have a relationship like that, that we haven't just really called it that, but that we all need somebody like that because that is a helpful, beneficial thing. And I want to make that case from Paul's words here this morning. I want to spend some time explaining what that relationship looks like 
and the implications it has both for someone who wants to be a mentor and for someone who is looking for a mentor. It's curious to me that we understand the need for mentors in all kinds of other areas. Okay, when you start a new job, they usually don't just say, oh, welcome to your new job, good luck. Somebody is going to say, now, do you know what you're doing? Or maybe, you know, do you know how to fill out an expense report? Or do you know how to use this software? Someone's going to take you around and say, okay, well, here's the bathroom. You know, here's where you go. Do you, you know, we, we see that in a job. We see that in children with parents. When someone is uh, raising a child, they don't just say, okay, well, you're 18, good luck. You know, the whole time of getting to that point where they're ready to be on their own is about equipping them. So we need someone who can teach us how to work on a car or how to hunt or how to cook or how to mow a yard, how to talk to customers in a job, you know, just, just little things that take a, a practiced hand showing us the ropes. But somehow, it's the most interesting thing, we seem to think that being a disciple of Jesus just comes naturally. You know, and maybe someone, someone becomes a Christian and will say, okay, well, here's the Bible. Good luck. As if there's no other instruction needed and no personal help that could be required. So when you look in the Bible, you see that that's not the way the faith is transmitted. You have a number of mentor-mentee relationships in the Bible. You have Moses and Joshua. You have Elisha and Elijah, or the other way around, Elijah and Elisha. You have Jesus and the apostles. You have Paul, and Paul seems to just attract young men to do this with him. Paul has Titus and Silas and Timothy and John Mark. Paul tells Titus this, uh, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So you have older women training younger women to do things that we might say, oh, that's natural. You know, loving your husbands and children. I mean, what do you need to learn about that? Well, there's a lot to learn about what it means to be a young woman who's going to be a disciple of Jesus. And that is something that is best taught by women who have gone through that process, who know a lot about it. So Paul is saying there needs to be some mentoring of the older women toward the younger women. So I don't think that I'm shooting in the dark by saying that mentors are an essential part of how we're going to learn to practice the faith. So let's talk about what that looks like from this text. The first thing I want to show you is that a mentor shares his worldview and his experiences. Look again at verse 10 with me. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So let's take a minute and set our feet in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter that seems to be written because Timothy seems to be discouraged. And Paul is trying to encourage him. So in the beginning of the letter, he says, you need to fan into flame the gift of God. It's a very vivid image. You need to stir yourself up. Okay? You need to get back into what you're really here to do. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, he tells him. He says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And so he says, you be like me. Don't be ashamed. Follow the pattern of what God has given you. And then he says, Timothy, you need to turn your attention to your work. Look at what you're doing. Do it well. So he tells him about the work. You know, there are things you need to remind them of, things you need to avoid. And that way it's a lot like 1 Timothy. 
But understand, look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3 and verse 1, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And so he talks about some of the difficulties that are coming and how Timothy needs to prepare himself for them. And really, if you are going to hang around with Paul very long, you are going to know foremost that preaching the gospel is going to bring difficulty. There just doesn't seem to be a time where Paul kind of puts his feet up and says, you know what, this is kind of fun. You know, for Paul, it's hard. And for Timothy following Paul, you need to know this is what it's like to preach the gospel. There are times of difficulty that are coming. But then verse 10, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He says, you know about me and my past and the past that we've shared together. You know my teaching. You know what it is to preach the gospel. You know what I preach, where I preach it, how I preach it. You know when I see a problem, what I say about it. You know me and how I would respond in these situations with the proper kind of teaching. And he talks about in verse 10, you know my conduct, which is a word that means my general behavior. You know how I act. He says, you know my aim in life, which is about my sense of purpose and my goal to be found in Christ. And he says, you know my love and my, my, my faith, excuse me, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness which is, you know what I'm like in my spiritual life. You know that I'm not going to give up. You know that I really believe in this. You know that I really care about people. You know all these things about me, Timothy. Now, here's the thing, and I want to talk about this just right at the beginning when we talk about mentors. That sounds proud. It sounds like Paul is bragging. Like, Timothy, hey, you know me. You know all the awesome stuff I do. You know how I teach. You know how I live. But this is not bragging. It's not pride. And sometimes when we talk about being a mentor, we have trouble with this because we either think that's going to make me sound proud or we think I don't have anything worthwhile to share for someone else. And what Paul is showing us is simply this. When we have walked with Jesus, we can help other people walk with Jesus. That's all. So when we have tried to do what's right, There are things we learn not to do and things we learn to do about how that works that can benefit other people. I read one one commentator said this, a man whose race is nearly run can talk without egotism about how it's gone. Okay, when you're near the end, and Paul is near the end here in 2 Timothy, and you look back, you can say, "Ah, that was good, that was bad. You know, I really did well with that. Not because he's saying, look at me, but because he's saying, "Now, now it's your turn, Timothy. Now you need to go. So, verse 11 now. In verse 11, he says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. See, these are the things that happened when Timothy was a very young man. Timothy is from Lystra. And Lystra is well known if you've studied through the book of Acts because that's the place where Paul was stoned and left for dead. So almost immediately, I don't know if Timothy was there. I kind of like to think he was there just because that makes the picture like a lot more interesting to me that he was there when they stoned Paul. And what a, what a way that would have imprinted itself on someone's mind to see someone almost killed. But whether he was there or not, certainly he heard the story that this is what happened to Paul. Paul came preaching the gospel and Paul left a shell of himself physically. And so Timothy says, sign me up. I want to go preach the gospel. From the very beginning, he knows preaching the gospel is linked to suffering. So what is happening here is Paul is saying, 
Look back at what you know about my worldview and my experiences and let it be something that steals you for what you are about to have to face. You need to be encouraged and reassured and stirred up because you remember what I've done and the things that we've shared. So being a mentor is going to mean that I need to be willing to share my worldview and my experiences, my aim of life and my conduct and the way I attach, uh, address my spiritual life. Some of those experiences I may go through with the person who is my mentor, and some of them I might not have been there for, but one way or another, I'm willing to share them, and as a mentor, I have to be willing to share them. So we don't know people's experiences and worldview naturally. In fact, it's also important because we don't all have an equal worldview and experience. That's kind of what our world is pushing on us right now. Hey, your worldview is fine. That's just your view. And your experiences teach you something. That's your truth. But in reality, there are some worldviews and experiences that are better than others. And being a mentor and having a mentor is about finding people who are going to help us find the best way to view life and show us the good and bad of how they've tried to live. Second, a mentor draws lessons from his life. Look with me in verse 11 again. Verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from, all, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul says, hey, you know what I went through. Now think about what that means. Especially verse 11, he says... From them all the Lord rescued me. So when Paul says, you remember Lystra? You remember how I got up after I'd been stoned? That was the Lord rescuing me. Do you remember all the things? He talks about how he despaired of life, 2 Corinthians 1. He had a, an affliction in Asia that was beyond what he could bear. He thought he was about to die. And yet from it, the Lord rescued me. He sees that at every turn. He says, the grace of Jesus is a real thing to me because Jesus saved my life. Turn the page to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. I want you to see how not only does that help in looking back, it also helps in looking forward. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16, Paul says, At my first defense... Okay, so let's take a time out. The first defense here is when Paul is imprisoned and is going to appear before Caesar. It's his first defense because he's going to have another one. But he says, when I was first before Caesar. So think about what that would be like. You're standing before Caesar... And Caesar has your life in his hands. He can give the thumbs up and you live and the thumbs down and you die. So, verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see what's happening? My first offense, Jesus saved me. And I know he will, verse 18, he will deliver me. So he's... He's going to have to go before Caesar again. And I don't think he's saying, you know, I'm going to live all the time. I'll always escape the persecution. The point he is making is, no matter what, the Lord is always with me. When people forsake me, Jesus won't forsake me. I am confident for the future. Why is he telling Timothy that? Because Timothy needs to learn that same perspective. No matter where you are, or what people are saying about you or doing to you, the Lord is with you. He needs that confidence. He gets it from his mentor. Back to chapter 3. Back to chapter 3, verse 12. 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not optional. It comes with the territory of living godly in Christ Jesus. We should expect it. Paul said, expect it. Paul said, I've lived it. Timothy, you expect it. And in fact, through that, he's saying to you and me, we should expect it. This is exactly what he taught when he goes back through, after he's been stoned and left for dead, Acts 14, he goes back through those churches, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Timothy, this is not new for you. This is not a surprise. You've been hearing this from the very beginning. This is part of the faith. And then in verse 13 he says... Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul says, I've also learned some things, Timothy, about the nature of evil. That evil doesn't have a natural stopping point. That evil men can grow from worse to worse. And he says, I've seen that, I've lived that, and sometimes I've been the victim of that. So this is the part of the mentoring process. Where we look back at our lives and we say, okay, so what? What did I learn? And we have to think about our lives in a way that we can say, what about what I've experienced, my successes and failures, would help somebody else? Can I keep somebody from some dangerous territory I've been through? Or is there something I wish someone had taught me before I started doing what I'm doing? So for Paul, it seems to me that he really wants to ingrain in Timothy, you need to know just how hard it's going to be to endure through all the difficulties. I think when Paul looks back at his life and the years he spent unfairly imprisoned, I think that's what comes to his mind. He says, you need to be prepared for this. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, Timothy, although we do know Timothy was imprisoned. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, Timothy, but whatever it is, if you live godly, you're going to, follow, you're going to suffer persecution, and whatever it is, the Lord can deliver you from that like he has delivered me. So, just want to remind you that the power we have in helping one another see the gospel is not somehow greater than the gospel, as if the gospel needs our help. But sometimes when we hear someone else say what's in the word, it comes alive to us. And sometimes when people can say to us, you know, I read this passage and then this happened to me and it showed just how true that is. It's not that it adds to the word. It's not that it's above the word. It's that it drives the word into our hearts. That's the point. And that's what Paul is saying. You know my life, Timothy. Here's what you need to learn from it. And you need that lesson driven into your heart. You need to know it for sure. So mentors can help us by drawing lessons from their lives. The third thing is a mentor gives counsel and instructions. Look in verse 14 with me. He says, but as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what should Timothy do? He's talked about how Timothy should feel, but what, what should you do? He says, keep going in the things you've learned. Continue in what you already know because you know who taught you. Now, I believe Timothy, uh, Paul is talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother here, the ones who had taught him from a very young age from the Old Testament. 
And he says, you keep studying and learning those things because you know the kind of life they produced in your mom and your grandma. What he calls in chapter 1 their sincere faith or unfeigned faith. We're going to read that passage in a couple of days here in our, our uh, devotional reading. Verse 16, particularly, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this scripture is going to help you in every situation you're in. It will help you be able to teach like I was able to teach and to correct what needs to be corrected. It will also help you live the way you should live and help other people live the way they should live so that you can be fully complete. Doesn't that come across differently from somebody like Paul? I think if we were around Paul, we would have kind of a, an awe. You know, to hear him preach or to hear Paul talk about some of the things he talks about in his letters, it seems as though Paul is just sort of a, a towering figure. But what I see here is Paul is saying, this is what you need to do to do your work well. You need to be in the Word. And he's talking about the Old Testament. You need to continue in those things. You need to dig into them. You need to be strong in them. Paul is saying, if you want to be where I am, this is the secret. This is how I got to where I am. So he gives counsel. He gives instruction. This is what's going to help you in the situation you're in and for the needs that you have. I want to remind you, this is not the first time Paul has done this with Timothy, where Paul has written out a prescription. Hey, Timothy, you need to do this. I mean, one of the simple ones is when he says in 1 Timothy... Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. You know, here's Timothy. He has stomach problems for some reason. Hey, why don't you, why don't you do this? Okay? And uh, I just don't get the feeling that Timothy says, oh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, Timothy is the one who says, okay, that's a good idea. I'll try it. I know he's like that because in a much bigger test case, do you remember when Timothy first decides to go with Paul? Paul tells him, you need to be circumcised so that you can preach and the Jews won't be offended at you because they all knew that Timothy's dad was a Greek, a Gentile, and his mom was a Jew. So Paul takes him and circumcises him. Why? Not because he had to. In fact, Paul is the one who would argue up and down, you don't have to be circumcised to be right with God, but it was wise. It was a good idea. That's counsel that an older person, a mentor, can give, and it requires not only the counsel and instruction, it also requires the spirit that says, I'm going to do what my mentor suggests, even though it doesn't seem as important to me, or it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me. Timothy has the respect for Paul that says, I'm going to listen to Paul, even if it hurts me, and in that case, physically hurts me. Now, you also see Paul always giving instruction to Timothy about some of the unique dangers of youth in First and Second Timothy. Uh, I think, this is my opinion, I'm sorry I said I think, Jim. Um, my opinion is that the reason Paul talks so much about foolish genealogies and strivings about the law and foolish discussions and disputes is that young men, young preachers in particular, seem to get attracted to that. They're drawn to that. And Paul is saying... I've been down this road, Timothy. Nothing good down that road. Okay, so he's giving counsel and instruction as a mentor. Lots of dangers in youth, but a mentor helps us to guide, helps to guide us and navigate through those dangers without falling into every trap. 
The last thing I want to say about this is that a mentor prepares to pass the torch. Look in chapter 4 with me. Chapter 4 of 2 Timothy in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he says, expect adversity and you keep preaching the word. Don't stop preaching, especially that word that you've been digging into from chapter 3 at the end. He says, now you keep preaching that word and expect to endure affliction. And preaching, he says, is going to need to happen whether people are in the mood or not. Preaching is not dependent on people's moods in season and out of season. He warns about people turning away, verses 3 and 4, who go after uh, what he calls myths or seeking after their own passions. That's really been true from the beginning of time, that some people are not interested in hearing the Word of God. But he says, you as a preacher need to be ready to preach it anyway. But the pressure here for Paul to write and encourage Timothy, the, the urgency, is because Paul's time is running out. He says that in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Okay, That is the idea that they would pour out a drink offering on uh, some of the different sacrifices. And I am being poured out means my life's almost spent. I'm almost gone. And he says, the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. So what you see here is, is none of this is about Paul exalting himself. All of this is about Paul saying, Timothy, I'm not going to be here much longer. And when I'm gone, you've got to take my place. When I'm gone, you've got to fill my shoes. When I'm gone, you've got to take the torch. So, if in any way you have been getting the impression that being a mentor is an ego play, this dispels it. This is not about me. This is about you and the future of the cause of Christ. That's it. So, being a mentor means... I want to effectively pass on the faith so that when I'm not here anymore, when the mentor is gone, the student can continue. So it's, it reminds me a lot of uh, John the Baptist, who when Jesus comes and his disciples come and they feel threatened by Jesus and the popularity of Jesus, John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Okay? I know where the future is and it's not with me. The future's with him. Or here is Moses giving the torch to Elijah, Elijah, Moses to Joshua, Elijah giving the torch to Elisha. Here's Jesus preparing the apostles and then saying, when I'm gone, you guys are going to have the Holy Spirit and you are going to do the teaching. You are going to be sort of in my place. I know they're not Jesus, but you get the idea. They are the ones to carry on the work when Jesus is no longer here. So that's what a mentor does. A mentor is always looking forward to the time when that person that we're training and working with is going to be the one in our position and we're going to go on to our reward. 
That's always in the back of Paul's mind, and that's one of the main motivations uh, for doing this work of being a mentor. All right, so uh, I want to give you a few thoughts about mentors, and then we'll be done. The ideal mentor relationship begins with parenting. Ideally, we have parents who are going to train us and teach us to do right. And that's the sense of the book of Proverbs. If you read the book of Proverbs, it is addressed as a father to his son. And over and over again, he is saying, watch out for this. Don't do this. Don't think that. That's a wrong way to go. That's what a mentor is. But there comes a time when, for whatever reason, our parents are no longer going to be our primary mentors. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not trying to go into all of that. But let's just say I'm not just talking about parents in this lesson. The question we're really asking is, who are we looking to as our example to emulate? Who do we have? Who do you have that you're looking at saying, I want to be like them? I want to grow into the kind of stature that they have spiritually. I want to live the kind of life that they have lived. To do that, I just want to remind you, we're going to have to fight our cultural emphasis on independence. I get to do my own thing. Nobody tells me what to do. Notice i got to get my head swaying when I say that. Nobody, nobody bosses me around. Oh, i got to be circumcised? Why do I have to be circumcised, Paul? That's not the spirit we see in these texts. These texts are about learning and trusting and following someone's advice, even though it's cho- we're choosing to make ourselves dependent. We need to fight the cultural emphasis on relative truth. You know, if my truth is just as good as your truth, then it doesn't really matter what you think. And all of these things that we could learn that would be valuable to us, we just say, oh, no, that's just his truth. That's just the way he lived. And he doesn't really understand me and my generation and my struggles. You don't see that spirit in these texts. These texts are about trusting that someone else may know something we don't. We need to fight our lack of time and our lack of willingness to invest in other people. When I say we need mentors, I mean I need someone to follow, but I also need to be looking to someone that I can guide and help. And both of those relationships in either direction are going to take time and investment. Some of it is going to be emotional. And it is a problem that we are often too selfish to do it. We're just worried about our own stuff and our own needs. And we're not thinking about the future of the cause of Christ. Now, uh, I have to tell you this. I wrote this sermon about two months ago, and I didn't preach it. Do you know why? I wasn't doing it. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, oh, well, you got Zach. And yeah, I do have Zach. That's true. But it's just Zach, you know. He's not here. I can say that. Uh, I mean, I am an independent person, and I don't like the idea of, having to take a lot of advice and take it seriously and do it. 